Welcome to Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where we connect authors with new listeners and provide advice to aspiring authors on the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter. So hi there, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for coming back to the Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And today I have the pleasure of introducing you to Bill Schreiber. So Bill, say hello to the listeners. Hello. How is everyone? I think we're all doing good. At least it's sunny outside in the Northwest <laughs> for now. That's a good thing. Yep. It is a good thing. So, Bill, let's do a little bit of introduction to the listeners that might not know you very well. I've done the research, so I kind of know. But share with us, first off, um, what state in the Pacific Northwest do you live in? I live in the state of Washington in uh, Seattle. Okay, up north, one of my favorite places, yeah. <laughs> beautiful Seattle. Today's probably a gorgeous day. So, listeners, as we're recording, we're just getting into summer. You know, it's my favorite time of year with the sun. <laughs> so, so Bill, what do you do for a day job if it's not full-time an author? Or have you graduated to the dream of being a full-time author? No, I, I'm not a full-time author. I am a professional writer, and I write for clients, um, primarily in the community foundation space or um, startups and clean energy and actually uh, companies that are using technology to kind of create better quality of life for, for their users. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're in the perfect location for that, right? Seattle, yeah, land. <laughs> good spot. It is, it is. So are you like a freelance, your own business owner, or are you through a company and they hire you out as a author, writer for those companies? No, I have my own, you know, kind of a one-man show. Um, mm-hmm. I have a journalism degree from the University of Florida, and I've been on magazine staffs, and I've been a magazine editor. And um, since that time, I've been freelancing wherever I might live. At the, uh, and it, I've, I've lived in Florida and Georgia and now Washington, and I've freelanced out of those areas because uh, with an Internet connection, you know, you can write pretty much for anyone. You can. And, you know, I've been doing a lot of reading about freelance writing. Um, not that I'm ready to jump from my day job because I do like the comfortability of having an income. <laughs> but yeah. there is a lot out there about authors, you know, freelance writing. Give the listeners just a little like if they were thinking about going to freelancing, what would a tip one tip you would give someone? Um, I, I would probably say try to establish yourself as a particular type of writer. I mean, even if, if it's a generalist or a technical writer, um, I saw that gap in my own skills uh, when I got out to Seattle and um, I earned a certificate from the University of Washington in technical right. writing to, you know, add that arrow to my quiver, if you will. So it's it's about having the skills for the client that you're you're targeting mm-hmm. um, and a good place to to find work these days is on online platforms um, mm-hmm. guru.com is one of them um, upwork is another one and they're out there and uh, people post jobs it's it's a marketplace where writers meet clients who are looking for what you do so it's yeah it's pretty effective that's great and you know a lot of people don't realize that technical writing is completely different than creative writing. Um, it's a whole different smoke, isn't it? (laughs) Absolutely. It is, uh, probably night and day actually, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. because it's very, it's very, uh, technical and procedural. Um, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of, uh, explaining how processes work or, Mm -hmm. 
helping lay people understand some sort of uh, technical information. So you're translating and distilling uh, the concept for someone who doesn't have a technical background. Yep, exactly. So speaking my alley, I work for a university and in the College of IT, training uh-huh. students to get themselves out there. And one of the courses I work with a lot is tech writing and okay. tech communications. And so it is always a good big shift at the beginning with my students to explain to them there's there's a whole different smoke here on this. It's not your English class. <laughs> it is. It's a completely you have to be in a whole different mindset mm-hmm. when yeah, you're you technical do. right versus creative writing. You do. All righty. So how about you share with um, the readers, your future readers that are going to find you from this podcast, what, um, so we're told as authors um, to always be reading, right? And so I love to hear from authors when they come on the podcast, what's on your bookshelf that you're reading right now? Right now I'm reading um, the book, Woman of Troublesome Creek. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm also reading a uh, history of Seattle that's kind of interesting called Sons of the Prophets, P-R-O-F-I-T-S. Oh, I haven't heard of that one. Yeah, it's pretty interesting by a local historian kind of guy Mm -hmm. who uh, did some good research and went back. And it's the history of Seattle from like 1850 to 1901. Hmm. Yeah. Sounds interesting. interesting. I'll have to look that one up and maybe get a hold of him and bring him on the podcast. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Sounds right up my alley. Um, so, okay. So you um, are also a author besides your day job as a technical um, writer, freelancer. So that's why we have you on the show. So why don't you share with us what your genre is that you you write in? Or do you have more than one genre? Well, I began uh, this journey as a creative writer, as a screenwriter. Mm-hmm. And um, the book, uh, Someone to Watch Over, uh, was based on an original screenplay that I wrote and and did pretty well within competitions and so forth at film festivals. I've written in the screenwriting world. That's that's a drama. So this book is you know would be considered a drama in the film world. I've also written comedy and action thriller. Um, this is my first novel, and um, it was my strongest script. I felt uh, based upon the reaction and the, the the way it resonated with readers in those competitions. And um, so I decided to, I thought I had a story there that I wanted to tell in a, in a, to a wider audience. And a screenplay is a, a mile short of the form in which it is supposed to be consumed with pictures mm-hmm. and music mm-hmm. and yeah. movement and all that. So I um, set off down the road to basically write a movie for people's minds, you know, theater of the mind. I love it. I love it. And, you know, usually authors do it the opposite way or they can't write the screenplay. You know, they'll have a really great fictional book uh, and they have to have somebody else writes a screenplay for TV or film. So talk with us about the translation of going the opposite way. What was that like? Yeah, it really was kind of a flip the script scenario. Um, It was very interesting, and I had a lot to learn when I transitioned from uh, screenwriting to to novel writing. And what I've come to realize is that screenwriting is writing a story from the outside in as a camera. Mm -hmm. And writing a novel is writing from the inside out, from an internal POV of a protagonist. Um, So when I started with the screenplay, I had a very obviously fleshed out three-act structure. and so I, I took that three-act structure and 
I was able to get broader and deeper with the characters and the mm-hmm. story. And I discovered some new things about them and about their, their past, you know, which is how they became the people they are today, like all of us. So it was a very interesting journey. Um, I worked with a, um, an editor who kind of looked over my shoulder and helped me to transition and pivot my perspective as a writer. Um, and it was mostly with POV mm-hmm. um, issues mm-hmm. because I was used to looking at the characters, giving very succinct verbal cues about what they were thinking and then you yeah. move on. Yeah. Um, and you, I've heard it called head hopping in a novel and you can't do that yeah. without transitioning certain ways. So that was, that was a new thing I learned. Um, and I also learned a lot more about the characters, the brother and sister who are the main characters. I think that's so fascinating. I have a, in my writer's group, I have a screen playwriter. That's pretty much mainly what she writes. Mm-hmm. And then there's um, several of us that are novelists. And so we get to read a lot of her screenplays as she's working on them. I love it. I, I, I'm fascinated by the screenplay writing format and about how succinct and, and almost simplistic it is right and she taught me a lot about in screenplay you really have to write it and then let the director um take over that play and they're going to interpret it right and so you don't put a lot of details in there um and even the parts that I love to read is at the beginning where they describe the characters Mm -hmm. and kind of what the actor should be your age like or whatever but it's not a lot of detail so I can imagine going from a screenwriting story into a novel it's not novels don't have to be a succinct but you do have to have a lot more description (laughs) right it was a heavy lift I found it to be pretty exhausting you know because it was a pretty steep learning curve making that transition Mm -hmm. and it's interesting to you know I still have the script obviously and would love to you know obviously see it be made as a film so it was interesting you know I just sat down with the script here and you know exterior smoky mountains day yeah but I had to start inside somebody's perspective. Exactly. Yeah. Right outwards. So how fascinating. Well, I wonder how many other authors have gone that way. I'm, I haven't looked it up, but it would be interesting to know and um, hear how, how that process goes. Cause I know it goes the other way from book to screenplay often. (laughs) That's the normal way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the abnormal way. (laughs) That's good though. I mean, I think that it, it broadens, you know, your writing abilities and I'm sure it, it, it even changes maybe how the book itself um, is read. So I'd be curious to, so listeners, when you find this book and you read it, you got to get back to us and tell us if it felt anything different to you um, as if you didn't maybe know there was, it was a screenplay first. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so Bill, take us through the writing process. You mentioned that you had the screenplay next to you. Did you just let the characters come out almost like the screenplay was an outline and then you just free wrote from there? Or did you have um, a clear, I mean, I guess you'd have a clear ending, but what was the process like from screenplay to the novel? I have been, uh, I've had this screenplay for a while, you know, so it's been kind of in my mind and in my back pocket. And um, writing the screenplay, I got to know the characters pretty well, as well as you can in a story that, you know, typically can't be any more than two hours long. Yeah. Um, but when I went to the page, that's when I discovered more about them mm-hmm. in this particular area. For example, um, Lenny, the the sister who is the, the lead character, um, 
we learn in the film that her mother died delivering her. Um, and so that is part of the emotional baggage she carries in her mm-hmm. life. And there wasn't time in the screenplay to get into, you know, how all of that happened. But in the book, there was. And in the book, the, her mother is much more of a presence than she is in the, in the movie because you, you only have so much room for so many story threads in a film. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that was that was a joy, actually, and, and pretty emotional to learn what happened with Lenny and her mom. And, you know, um, her mom is a spiritual presence in the story. And um, that came out of the novel writing itself. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah. And had you not explored the novel, then that would have never came about, right? So Correct. Yeah, that's <laughs> that, right. That's really wonderful. I love it. So... Let's talk a little bit about the publishing because the novel itself, you did you get it published and then it won the award or kind of walk us out because it, it, it went, won readers an award that I'm very interested in myself. <laughs> so. <laughs> um, it, it kind of overlapped and all happened at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, I was named a, a finalist in the Rising Star Award with the Women's Fiction Writers Association. And they just announced the 2020 finalist today, actually. I think. Oh, did they? Yeah. yeah I haven't looked yeah. yet. <laughs> and um, while I was a finalist, I went uh, to the Willamette Writers Conference in Portland. Mm-hmm. And there I met a writer who was with a small independent publishing company in Oregon. And I just happened to bump into her near the, um, the raffle area, you know, where they raffle things off for fundraising for the for the um, organization. And I just told her, you know, my story. And she was so taken by it. She said, you have to meet my publisher who was there. And I did and uh, pitched him that night. Um, and he was fascinated by it and, and took and, and wanted me to send him the manuscript. Mm-hmm. So in the meantime, um, I won the award. I won the Rising Star Award. And he had already interested, you know, exhibited some strong interest in it. And then, you know, he made me the offer to publish it. And so mm-hmm. it kind of all happened at the same time, which is, um, I think it speaks to just get out there and work on a number of fronts at the same time. You know, yeah. because you never know. If I hadn't have been there, I wouldn't have met, you know, her and, and Ben, the publisher and who knows, you know, where, where I would be with it today, but yeah. it was just one of those, one of those meetings that, you know, fate brought us together. So. I, and I love that part of the story because I can't tell you how many times I've heard authors say it was just a, a moment. And had I not said yes and walked into that room or said yes and sat down next to this person and started a conversation, my life wouldn't have been changed. So I think that's an awesome story. So great. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, the, it, it really mirrors some, uh, the theme of the book, which is that, um, you know, Lenny, Lenny learns of, of these angels in the Appalachian Mountains called Gardican angels. And they're like mm-hmm. cousins to guardian angels. And they allow parents to reach back and help the children that they've left behind. And both of my parents are deceased, although they they knew of the of the movie, but they never got to see the movie. And you know, mm-hmm. um, and I believe that I believe that uh, there's a hand, you know, that guides mm-hmm. us and helps yeah. us when we need 
when we need help. So I definitely am a believer in that as well. I've had so many wonderful experiences that I can't um, summarize as anything else but that, you know, and I have a very strong presence from my grandmother's, particularly my um, father's mom. And I talk about her often with a lot of people. And there's a lot of things that I do where I'm like, I know she's watching out. I know she's there. I know she's seeing what I'm doing. You know, I so. know. I know. I, I, I believe that. I do too. I, Lenny calls it God's skybox. Where they have oh, a view. that's they great. Have, they have a view of the field. Yeah, that's, that's very cool. So you talked about the Willamette's Writers Group. So my... Um, Listeners have heard that a lot, so that's it's awesome. I think we have probably one of the strongest groups in in the Willamette Writers Group. It's just a really, really great organization. Do you have some other um, associations or support groups that you could plug? I have a lot of aspiring new authors that listen to the podcast, and it's inspiration, and it will help them to find um, maybe something they didn't know about. Sure. Um, the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, the PNWA, is based in Seattle, and they have a big conference every year, um, a big organization. They bring in um, agents and, you know, speakers um, that can help people with their professional development. And also, there are agents there looking for stories. Mm-hmm. And so you can, you know, get slots with agents kind of one-on-one and pitch your story. So that's, that's definitely something that you should do because you're going to have – pitching is hard. Um, oh, yeah, it is. And, <laughs> It's, 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 it's like speed dating, people call it in that environment. And it just feels just weird sometimes. <laughs> I know. And it's nerve wracking because yeah. there's so much to your story that you need to boil down to about yeah. 60 yeah. seconds. And, yeah. uh, but practice makes it easier. Yeah. So I've been doing, and I brought that with me from the film world because you have to do the same mm-hmm. thing in the film world as pitch a screenplay to a producer. Yeah. So yeah, that's something good to do. And also, of course, the uh, women's, uh, Fiction Writers Association mm-hmm. is a mm-hmm. very supportive community yeah. um, and um, about a thousand members strong. They also have competitions and um, online agent pitch events. I think the mm-hmm. next one happens in June or July when yeah. you sign up and yeah. you can present your materials to uh, probably a dozen or 15 agents. So it's very worthwhile. It's so great. And it's funny that you bring that up because my listeners have been following me on the journey of me writing my um, first book. So it started with the podcast. Well, the book started and the podcast came along as I started to ask authors about their journey. And it was such great information. I'm like, I can't just sit on this. So that's two years later, a podcast and almost 100 author interviews later. And I finally have my first manuscript done. Thank the stars. And it's through. Yeah, thank you. And so now the process for me is getting that agent, what I what um, one of my friends calls the agent Santa Claus list together of my top agents that I want to pitch to and then narrow that down and get that pitch together. So that's kind of the process I'm working towards right now. I didn't know if I was going to self-publish or if I was going to actually try traditional. Mm-hmm. And so I'm kind of still, I, I feel now that I'm ready for the traditional approach that doesn't work, then we can go self-publishing or maybe a small press, you know? So, so it's been a fun journey. So I'm glad you brought up the agent aspect because it's kind of right where I'm living right now. (laughs) Well, here's another good, a great resource that's online. It's called, well, you, you, you may be familiar with manuscript wishlist. 
Uh-huh. Yep. Okay. Yep. Are you familiar with Query Manager? I am. Yep. Okay. I'm a that, frequent haunter of both. <laughs> that is fantastic because the, it, it, you can filter the agents by, you know, the genres that they're looking for. Yep. You only want to match up with people who are looking for the type of material you write because yep. everybody doesn't rep everything. Exactly. I, I heard this great story, a little discouraging, but it was so inspiring to me that from an agent, so she's in New York and she was sharing with other authors that she gets so many query letters that um, on her walk to her job down New York, wherever, whatever street it was, at every light, she would go through her emails and see how many um, emails she could delete because the first line didn't catch her. And she gets that many query letters. So that is how important that first line is. Yes. And, and I was just like, oh my gosh, so it's a whole art even doing that part. <laughs> it is. Query letters are an art unto mm-hmm. themselves. They really are. So let's get back to you, Bill. Tell me and the listeners what your inspiration is for this book. But before you do that, remind us of what the title is, because it kind of just slipped past us, I think. <laughs> the book is called Someone to Watch Over. Okay, um, great. And it's uh, it's about a a woman who's trapped by a tragic secret, um, and she's never forgotten the baby her estranged father secretly forced her to give up as a teen, um, kind of in a small town in the foothills of the Smoky Mountains. And when her dad dies, the keys to finding her child die with him. You know, and she's crushed by that until she learns of a long shot last hope and sets out with her brother, who is uh, the complete opposite of her and was kind of the golden child of the family, uh, to locate an Appalachian angel who can allegedly put deceased parents in touch with the children they leave behind. Um, The story was inspired by um, my own father's unexpected death and um, my family asking me to write and deliver his eulogy. Mm. I, I felt overmatched by that um, as a writer, and it was the hardest thing I've ever written because I realized that I knew my dad as a dad from the age of 30 on when I came into his life, but he had an entire life before mm-hmm, mm-hmm. me and my four siblings arrived. Mm-hmm. And um, so in order to find my way into his eulogy, I thought back on all the family vacations that we used to take loading into the station wagon like millions of other families around the world. And um, that's where the original seed of the idea came from is um, their desire to set out and retrace a childhood vacation together mm-hmm. in memory of their father. And through that trip, they learn how to become family again and repair their broken relationship. Um, you know, so it's, it really centers on family and, um, you know, learning how to give each other enough space of understanding and empathy to um, reunite and find a way to love again. I love it. What a brilliant, brilliant theme and a needed theme because not all families, you know, function well, especially when we all become adults and stuff. So I think that's a beautiful um, inspiration. And I can imagine it it would be challenging to go back and have to write your father's eulogy when you're right. We don't know so much about them prior to us coming in the world with them, right? Right, (laughs) And then our pictures sometimes are a little flawed (laughs) as kids. Well, interestingly, they learned that something something really important that changed his 
his outlook on life happened on that trip. And so mm-hmm. they're trying to rediscover that. Gotcha. I love it. It has a little bit of mystery to it, which is yeah. very fascinating. And it sounds like to me, it has a lot of growth and healing, something I'm a firm believer in. Yes. Not always the easiest road to have that kind of growth and healing in your life. Sometimes it's probably the hardest thing. Right. But I love it. Sounds wonderful. Well, so- I am I am heartened to hear from some readers um, who say that it did touch them and it got them to re-examine some relationships. Oh. And that's kind of why I wrote it. That's beautiful. There's nothing better for in the world to me as an author that you can touch people on a spiritual level because I believe that's spiritual growth. Yeah. And um, and I think that is just, and if you can do it in a way that's not preachy and that's not, you know, demonstrative, but it is just absolutely 100% at the heart, that's important. So I yeah. love it. Well, I'm ready to hear it. So my <laughs> listeners know, let's set the stage. Um, I'm going to go quiet, as everybody knows, to keep the dogs from barking. And um, and Bill's going to jump in here and share with us um, a little bit about the reading. Well, I'm going to read a, a, a chapter. And um, Lenny, the protagonist, uh, her father has just died. And she's recently had a waking encounter with him in the neonatal ICU of a local hospital where she volunteers as a cuddler for premature newborns. So now she's back at work in a little bookstore called The Likely Story. And it's in a charming brick historic district in the foothills of the Smoky Mountains, titled Reaching Out. Water surging skyward crumbles, expires against the clouds low rumble. Wounded bird gravity fights, grasping sky to take its flight. Lenny looked up from the verse she had just recited to Yolanda from her notebook, her body tensing as she waited for a response. She hated being so nervous about reading some of her poetry out loud, but she couldn't help it. Laying your heart out there was never easy. That's awesome, her friend said, eyes widening. Lenny thought the years they had been apart since she'd left had only enhanced Yolanda's natural beauty. The short raven hair really suited her peach tips, a perfect complement to her ebony complexion. Lenny breathed a sigh of relief. Really? Yeah, girl, I love it. You're just being nice. No, I'm not. Lenny grinned. It's about this fountain I saw in San Fran years back when I was traveling. So beautiful against the sky. They were on a break from taking inventory in a likely story's lovingly named basement bobble room. The storage area was down a rugged set of stone steps and housed souvenir collectibles like Great Smoky Mountain refrigerator magnets, shot glasses, coffee mugs, snow globes, and keychains. A stack of handmade soaps leavened the musty air with the aroma of lavender and lemon myrtle. A dehumidifier rumbled and hummed under lightweight steel shelving that ringed the stone-walled room. Windows at ground level allowed just enough clarity for Lenny to notice the dust suspended in streams of light. She liked to think of it as breathable history, particles dating back to the former church's birth in 1789. After she clipped her pen inside her notebook and closed the cover, she glanced at the last of dad's hand-carved wooden angel figurines on a shelf. She picked up a little cherub with petite wings and a baby blue choir gown, head bowed, hands clasped in prayer. A round sticker on the bottom read 995. She cleaned the dust off with her finger and traced the small angel's swirl of black hair before placing it among its heavenly host. Honestly, Yolanda said, picking up Lenny's notebook and skimming the pages, I think you write some of the best poetry I've ever read. 
Have you read a lot? Her friend blinked at her and paused before she answered. That's not the point. The point is, are you going to put the fountain one to music if it doesn't find its way into a book like you set out? Maybe. I don't know. Lenny hoped it would be her breakout poem, the one that finally lifted her into the ranks of published poets. But she'd been disappointed so many times with the, unfortunately, the material doesn't meet our needs rejection letters, she'd learned not to get too emotionally attached to the idea. She had been flattened so many times by all the turndowns that she suddenly needed Yolanda's feedback to be genuine. You really think it's that good? Girl, please, Yolanda's voice jumped an octave. All I've got to say is, Maya Angelou, move over. Lenny couldn't stifle a sputtering laugh and fanned herself with her inventory clipboard. You're an Easter egg short of a basket. I'm serious, Yolanda said. After hearing you read in that sweet voice, I'm ready to climb into that fountain and get unbound myself. Maya Angelou. Lenny playfully popped Yolanda's shoulder with her clipboard. I swear, her words were piped in straight from above, every syllable. She sat on a rolling step stool, tugged off her right boot, and kneaded the arch behind the ball of her foot. Yolanda plopped down opposite her. What's the matter, cramp? No, childhood. Lenny sighed. I had to wear a dreadful corrective shoe as a little kid, some kind of bone thing, but it did straighten my foot out. Now it flares up sometimes if I'm on it too long. She looked around the shelves, still massaging her foot. Well, I guess we best get back to it. I suppose, Yolanda said and got up to count snow globes. You know, she said, jotting the number on her clipboard sheet. Mama says they're never really gone. Lenny pinched the tips of her toes. Who's never really gone? Yolanda's lips moved as she silently tabulated dusty coffee cups. The dearly departed, she finally said. Can you believe that? Mama thinks God allows kin who've passed to reach back to the kids they've left behind, to help them with their earthly struggles through what she calls Gardican angels. Garda what? Her friend apparently couldn't spare a breath to answer her question because she had a few more thoughts on the subject. Isn't that the craziest thing you ever heard? Mama told Aunt May about the Gardican angel, an old woman who put her in touch with her long dead daddy. Well, you can guess what happened. What happened, Lenny said. Yolanda shook with a deep chuckle. Aunt May passed straight out. We had to bust an ammonia stick to bring her around. Are you talking about guardian angels, Lenny said? Nope, those are different. There's folks who believe guardikins are a peculiar ilk unto themselves, like highly specialized angels. Their whole job is to connect parent and child kin. Whoever heard of a special forces branch of angels, Lenny said. Everyone knew about the phonies who claimed to be able to link folks with the deceased for goodly sums of money. Lenny chewed the end of her pencil. You know, I once read about spiritual beings called divas, and she pronounced the word diva. Yolanda tallied bear cloth keychains. Mmm, but they're called devas, not divas. We're not talking Beyonce. I read where Hindus and Buddhists and such believe in them, Lenny replied. Seems what they call devas, we call angels, God's messengers. All I know is, Yolanda said, mama believes parents who pass can help their children through these Gardican angels. Lenny looked off, eyes riffling tourist trinkets, not focused on anything in particular as her mind scuffled. Tell her what you saw. No, don't. Just tell her. 
I think maybe my dad's trying to do that, she finally blurted out. She waited for Yolanda to tell her she was moonshine crazy, but her work buddy was focused on counting t-shirts. Lenny wrapped her knuckles on a shelf. You hear me? Sorry, I lost you. I said, I think daddy could be trying to help me with my earthly struggles. Her mind attempted to stop right there, but her mouth had other ideas. I saw him at the hospital while I was cuddling earlier this week. Yolanda stopped writing and cocked an eyebrow. Your dead daddy. Yep. Over the last few days, it had also occurred to Lenny that she might have had something to do, that he might have had something to do with the lucid dream about her childhood vacation. You're telling me you saw your dead daddy. Yes, he was there, plain as the nose on my face. Yolanda sighed. Okay, Eleanor Grace, dish, what's going on in that head of yours? Lenny locked on her deep brown eyes. She thinks I've done lost it. I saw him four days after the funeral at the hospital in the preemie room. A slow nod accompanied Yolanda's skeptical tone. Do tell. She gazed at the ceiling, then back at Lenny and sniffed in a way that seemed to indicate she thought her friend was on the bullet train to crazy town. And there were other people around, nurses and all? Yes. And nobody else seemed to think anything was out of the ordinary. Lenny cleared her throat and stroked her earlobe with all the nonchalance she could muster. It didn't seem, well, I mean, nobody said anything like, hey, you can't be in her dress like that. Mm-hmm. And how was he dressed? Like in that nice casket suit he was in at the service? No like he had just finished working in the wood, wood shop, all sawdusty and everything. And nobody else saw him because Lenny suspected Yolanda was waiting her to follow her line of thought to a practical conclusion, just like Miss Day used to do back in sixth grade. Because they weren't looking, Lenny heard herself grasping at straws. Girl, let's cut out the ghost talk and pull the spooky spoon out of the soup you're setting to boil. I'm not setting anything to boil. Rascal's bubbling all by itself. Lenny, I've known you since we were five. You may be a grown woman, but I can see it in your eyes, just like when we used to sit and listen to stories in the reading room. Your imagination runs plumb wild. But he was so... Lenny searched for the right word, rapidly tapping her middle fingers on the opposite thumbs like a jittery yoga instructor. Present. Yolanda shook her head. Girl, I'm telling you right now, Mama's Gardican Angel talk, you can just put that out of your mind. It's just old-timer crazy jaw. Lenny rose from her stool and hobbled to Yolanda, one boot on, one boot off. But why does it have to be crazy? I mean, if he wants to make things right between us. Okay, first off, I know you're hurting. That's why you needed time off. But you're starting to wig me out. She took Lenny's hands her eyes melting to genuine concern. What was wrong between you and your daddy before he passed? I wish I could tell you, but it's a long story that only he and I can resolve together. Yolanda nodded. And he's dead, so there's that little hitch. Lenny squeezed Yolanda's hands. But what if he wants to help me with my earthly struggles? He reached out. I know he did. What happens if I reach back? Yolanda clenched her eyes and scratched the sides of her head as if she could coax out something that would get through to Lenny. She took Lenny by the shoulders and gave her a little shake. Look, 
my mama is stuck in the old ways her mama taught her, just like her mama before that. This is the 21st century, not a magic conjuring potion buried in a mason jar under the old oak tree. Lenny dropped her gaze. She knew the possibility was one in a zillion, absurd even. Look at me, Yolanda said. Just because some folks choose to believe something doesn't make it true. Dead kin reaching back across the great divide to help children they leave behind? That's all just dirt old blibbity blab from a corner of the Appalachians. Mama claims a little town in Georgia called Tallulah Falls. It makes about as much sense as high heels and a sack race. Lenny held Yolanda's steady gaze, absorbed her concern, her certainty, her unproven certainty. She knew what she'd seen sounded loony by any measure in the normal world. And then there was that other unexplainable experience, her lucid dream of their long ago family vacation. Somehow the two things were connected. She could feel it in her gut. Tallulah Falls, she tried the word on for size, her voice barely above a whisper. Then she kissed Yolanda's cheek. Thank you. She grabbed her discarded boot from the floor and marched toward the stone steps. She glanced back to see her friend's flabbergasted face. Where are you going, Yolanda demanded. Lenny pushed through a sense of being off kilter, herky-jerky hips riding up and down, the single boot she wore making that leg two inches taller than the other, to let daddy do right by me. She clambered up the steps, Yolanda's pleas growing fainter behind her. But he's done past. Lenny unleashed a shot in the dark, but maybe he hasn't passed over yet. Can I have the yogurt you left in the fridge? The shout of her co-conspirator was barely audible. Lenny paused at the top of the steps, the cool dampness of the basement rushing up at her as she cupped her hands around her mouth. It's all yours, and thank you, hun. Awesome. Wonderful. Now I have to know more. So I guess I better get the book. <laughs> that would be a good idea. Yeah, yeah. How <laughs> wonderful. Now I have a question for you. Did you rate, were you uh, spent time in the Appalachian Mountains or does this just how the, because you have a lot of um, uh, dialogue, I don't know, that, that would be regional, right? And right. so how did, how did you come about that? <laughs> well, I'm, Originally from Georgia. Ah, there we yeah. go. <laughs> I grew up in the South. Um, I lived in Georgia for quite a while. Spent time in Tennessee, the Carolinas. Yep, um, yep. So that's one of the reasons I sent the story there, because it was a canvas that I'm familiar with. And mm -hmm. through those parts and uh, met characters. And um, I just kind of, you know, have it in my bones, if you will. Yeah, well, you captured it well. I, I have quite a bit of family there. And, with, and just hearing how they talk and the little... Um, sayings you know unless you've been in that area you don't know that's what they're saying you know yeah. <laughs> they're saying that so lovely very good thanks well, i'm excited about the book so listeners i hope you fell in love with it like i did if you did jump on bill's website it will be in show notes and so you can get a copy of it um i believe that there's being sold on amazon as well yes and so, Bill, we're kind of in a hiatus for any events um, in the world right now, but um, do you have any online events that are coming up that you will be able to meet readers at, or what's kind of your calendar look like with the COVID world? <laughs> well, I would be happy to do that. I mean, I, I have on my website, which is williamschreiber.com, that um, I would love to Skype in or Zoom into reader groups or, you oh, know, library that. groups. 
that mm-hmm. read the book and participate. Um, and in one way, you know, what's happening is it's kind of got us all into the, the virtual world. And it's mm-hmm. so easy to now be somewhere that you couldn't otherwise be, mm-hmm. um, you know, on the other side of the country or, you know, down in Arizona or something like that. Yeah. So yeah. Please, I would love to talk about the book. That's fantastic. I love it. And I'll tell you what, there's been a noticeable change for me. So I've been using Zoom to record my podcast for two years. And um, the first few year and a half, there was a lot of authors that didn't even know how to work Zoom. I had to do tutorials with them. And now it's like not even a problem. Oh, I got Zoom. I'm in there. I'm just loving it. It's so fun for me. <laughs> right. Well, Zoom was a new new uh, platform for me, too. I mean, I was kind of on Skype and I yeah. was familiar with that. But suddenly yeah. everybody was was Zoom. And so um, here we are. Here we are. I wish I bought some stock in Zoom. Oh, I know. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, Bill, before we close out the podcast, let's um, end it with one piece of advice you would give to an author like myself, who I'm still in the journey. I haven't published yet. I'm a little farther along than I was two years ago, but I could use advice. And I know there's other listeners and even readers out there that maybe are sitting on a story and they want to write and they just, you know, they need some advice. What would you tell us? Um. Well, congratulations on finishing your manuscript. That's quite an accomplishment. Um, I would say you hear a lot of talk about a writer's voice. And I think I think the most powerful stories are the stories that only you can tell. Mm-hmm. It's a story that, you know, comes from, you know, the a place in your own life, your own experience. Um, and nobody else can tell it like you do. And um I think the reason that this story has resonated with people is it become it came from a very raw emotional place mm-hmm. and a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, for me, those are the most powerful stories. I love a good, you know, action film and all of that, but stories of character are the ones that people remember. People remember characters long after the plot is forgotten. So mm-hmm. write about, you know, my advice would be to write something only you can write and make people feel something. I love it. Such great advice. I'm taking it in. <laughs> so, and I'm sure my other listeners um, that are in the same places or maybe farther than me and they listen to the podcast, they're taking it as well. So Bill, thank you so much for being here. Listeners, your action item is to get onto Bill's website. It's in my show notes. Hop in there, um, email him, follow him. Are you on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter or one in particular, Bill? I'm on uh, Facebook at William Schreiber Author, and um, I'm on Instagram um, and Twitter. Awesome. Follow him on one of them or all of them. Let him know you heard him on the podcast. It's so much fun to know where we find people from. And Bill, it's been an absolute pleasure having you here today. Thank you so much, Vicki. I really appreciate it. And keep writing. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we did. Follow us on social media and sign up for our newsletter where you can be entered automatically each month to win a signed free copy of a book from an author that's appeared on the podcast. You can find out more at our website, www.squishpin.com. And finally, if you're an author in the Pacific Northwest and you would like to appear on the show, you can find out more on our website. So until next week, I hope you enjoy the journey. This is Vicki J. Carter signing off.